I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of All Things Policy. I'm Amit Kumar. A research analyst with Takshila Institutions Indo-Pacific Program, and today I have with me my colleague Anushka Satsena, also a research analyst with Takshila. And today we're going to be talking about the private security military companies, and we'll be delving into the details of a report recently published by IPI on the Russian Wagner Group operating in Africa. So Anushka, let me first ask you, what are these PSMCs and What's all the first about? Uh, firstly, thanks, Amit, for having me. And uh, that's a very uh, pertinent question, given the conflict situation that's prevalent in and across Africa, as well as other countries in Latin America and uh, South Asia. So these uh, private security military companies, basically private peace enforcers, if you will. So just like we have UN peacekeeping troops that have mandates to enter situations of armed conflict and make sure that peace and stability is achieved and uh, a balance is drawn between said stability and human rights. These private security military companies kind of head into situations of armed conflict and uh, with the purpose of maintaining peace and security. Of course, their mandates usually do not involve that balance between maintaining stability, economic financial, uh, political, so on and so forth, and upholding human rights. It's largely the first one. But yes, they're becoming important players in how armed conflict plays out. So on a more formal level, there is a distinction drawn between private military companies and private security companies. Private military companies or PMCs, as traditionally understood, provide services to replace or back up an army or an armed group in order to enhance effectiveness and to fulfill a certain requirement that perhaps these groups may not have been able to. And this category is uh, further broken down into two subcategories, which is active PMCs and passive PMCs. So active ones are those who are willing to carry weapons into combat, while the passive PMCs are those that focus on issues on the back burner like training and other organizational issues. Private security companies or PSCs, on the other hand, provide services aimed at protecting business and property from criminal activity. These are types of companies that have existed for a very long time and are found everywhere. But like I said, their number seems to be on the increase, especially in conflict regions where businesses feel that they cannot always rely on state security forces for their protection. And private military companies frequently operate in situations of armed conflict, whether international or non-international. And they can be hired by the state party to the conflict, uh, less often by the non-state party to the conflict, or by a company uh, that is seeking to protect its operations in a country where conflict is taking place. And although formalized PSMCs are a relatively new phenomena, the participation of persons that are not officially members of regular armed forces 
in situations of armed conflict is far from new you know and uh, international humanitarian law which is the law for which is the law of armed conflict has subsequently evolved to extend upon the status of such persons and debate whether their status and treatment should be as that of prisoners of war upon capture what are the kind of norms of attributability that apply on their use of force or against them which means state or individual responsibility for their actions whether they should be defined as civilians or mercenaries so on and so forth and while by no means the only uh, the psmc active in conflict zones today the russian government affiliated wagner group has gained widespread public attention for its brutal tactics in uh, two countries specifically which is uh, the central african republic and mali among other locales and uh, they have widespread implications for un peacekeeping operations and their protection of civilian mandates so like i mentioned psmcs usually do not concern themselves with protecting civilians or uh, mobilizing human rights and uh, that clashes directly with what the un peacekeeping forces are there to do and as the use of private forces in civil conflict expands to include other state sponsors uh, apart from russia such as china and the gulf states it is ever more important for the international community to understand the consequences of these so called modern mercenaries for peace operations and the environment and effectiveness of UN peacekeeping missions in protecting civilians many more uh, private companies are present in countries confronted with armed conflicts and in the past these have largely been iraq colombia afghanistan which were countries of active conflict for the longest time and according to multiple sources these contractors are or have been training security forces in iraq flying gunships in colombia training civilian police in bosnia and kosovo and protecting the former afghanistan president hamid karzai as well so these reports tell us just how widely used and extended the mandates of these psmcs can be and uh, some companies have developed a high level of expertise such as say the russian group wagner or american firms like airscan south african executive outcomes and uh, the british group sandline and more often they're not deployed because of this expertise their effectiveness their ability to execute mandates ruthlessly and um, some others like ronco also specialize in clearing mining fields so we can clearly observe that they have a lot of utility for a varied variety of actors and uh, at the same time they pose challenges to both how we define those deployed in conflict under international humanitarian law as well as those who are traditionally involved in these roles which is the un peacekeepers okay so just to sum up and make sense of what you have just said what you are essentially saying is that these private security wealthy companies they have already been in operation and have been already been employed by private companies to secure their properties and uh, provide security to them and the latest trend has been that uh, there has also been cases they have been employed to cater for armed conflict yes that's absolutely right so in that case uh, my question is so uh, i mean because they are uh, what company as we comes to my mind when i think of private security military companies is that the mandate what the trend latest trend has been that the mandate is clashing with uh, those of the un peacekeepers so how does the international law apply on them psncs and uh, how does international law define them and whether the laws that are already apply on un peacekeepers 
our uh, PSQC is also subject to those MOOCs. Right. So, yes, like I mentioned, because these activities of PSMCs have continued to exist for a long time, international humanitarian law, which is the law for, has evolved to become applicable on these entities. And both public and uh, customary international law have provisions for regulating the activities of PSMCs. So, the phenomena of uh, private contractors carrying out duties for the armed forces is not new, like I mentioned. For example, Article 4, Subclause 4 of the Third Geneva Convention explicitly refers to persons who accompany the armed forces without being members thereof, such as supply contractors, members of labor units, or of services responsible for the welfare of the armed forces. And this article uh, of the Third Geneva Convention even provides that those persons who have fallen into the power of the enemy shall be prisoners of war, provided that they have received authorization from the armed forces which they accompany, who shall provide them with an identity card which is similar to a model that they then annexed in the convention. And what is more recent, however, is the level of outsourcing that is now taking place and the nature of activities contracted out to private companies, which are doing tasks previously carried out by the military itself. And so they're no longer just seen as part of the armed forces or accompanying the armed forces, but individual entities that carry out the jobs that armed forces are currently not carrying out or have been asked to not carry out in such situations. So that's where there lies a shortcoming in this article of the Third Geneva Convention. So then an additional protocol one to the Geneva Conventions came about, which includes Article 47, which defines the term mercenary itself, which many of these PSNCs operating in these countries are referred to as. And uh, they define mercenary with a six-part criteria. And they say it's someone who is specially recruited locally or abroad, doesn't leave much scope for a third category because it's either local or abroad. Then second is that they participate directly in the hostilities. Third is that they're motivated to take part in the hostilities essentially by the desire for private gain and are promised by or on behalf of a party to the conflict material compensation. Fourth is they're neither a, a national of a party to the conflict nor a resident of a territory controlled by a party to the conflict. Fifth is they are not a member of the armed forces of a party to the conflict. And sixth, is that they have not been sent by a state that is not a party to the conflict on official duty as a member of its armed forces. And so you can see from this definition that there are so many shortcomings to applying the definition of mercenaries to what the, the kind of evolved functions PSMCs perform today. For example, the fifth uh, part of this definition, which says that they should not be a member of the armed forces of a party to the conflict and the sixth part that says that they should not be sent by a state that is not a party to the conflict all of these are very vague and blurry lines that you cannot actively kind of draw because psmcs may operate both covertly and overtly and because if states do deploy them they will never give you out the exact information of what whether or not they're associated with the armed forces they've deployed and uh, what what is their nationality, what party state do they belong to and whether or not they belong to a party state in active conflict at all. Similarly, the, the category of mercenary cannot be extended to cover grey areas regarding voluntary combatants who do not share the nationality of belligerents and decide to take part in a conflict or employees of PMCs and PSCs present in situations of conflict because it imposes the stigma of financial greed as opposed to the virtues of patriotism and honor that would characterize regular combatants. So that value judgment attached to kind of being part of an armed conflict 
whether you do that as a part of an armed forces group or as part of a PSMC is kind of stigmatized by this. And so various other shortcomings, debates regarding state attributability or individual responsibility exist under international law. And um, I think what we can clarify is that if there, if we can tell, we, if we can draw the line and come out of the gray area that these have been deployed by a state, we can firmly say that, you know, state attributability is applicable. But if not, and if states refuse to associate with them like Russia has in Wagner Group's case, individual responsibility may play out better. Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short break. From what I can understand is, Coercion or uh, monopoly of power is something uh, that has been traditionally been subject under the state. And coercion, use of coercion and use of power itself has been a very controversial subject. And how much coercion should or coercive power should a state hold? How much coercive power uh, should a state apply? In what situations apply? So uh, my assertion is that uh, coercion itself has been a very controversial subject with regards to when we study a state. But what essentially you are suggesting and the latest trend suggests is uh, this monopoly of power is uh, somewhat is uh, the state or uh, private entity are uh, co-opting this uh, coercive power. And how does it compare, how does it affect on state's power? And of course, you can hold state accountable, but accountability is something that you cannot very, you can't impose on private entities. So how do you see this change vis-a-vis the state to private entities with respect to uh, coercive power? Right. That's an excellent question with implications for how we understand in uh, political theory the idea of monopoly of the state over violence or coercive power. In the situation of an armed conflict, especially with the coming about of commercialization of regime stability as a product, we can see that a regime that feels politically threatened or feels that they're in an unstable civic conflict in that country where they need to call upon external forces to bring power back in their hands. They have this extra choice now of going ahead and asking a PSMC and not just a state. So in this scenario of international armed conflict, we've seen in the past and we're, we're continuing to see countries embroiled in conflict reach out to other countries and seek help. So this might not necessarily have to do with the state's coercive power and uh, national security power domestically, but more to do with the right of a state to be associated officially with the state power that is deployed internationally. And so when a state requests another state for help in a conflict situation, so far it's been the state as an entity that has been responsible for deploying their troops. But now, like I said, they have the option of reaching out to a private security military company with or without the involvement of a state. And this definitely questions the idea of monopoly of a state over coercive power is because now it may not be necessary for someone seeking this coercive power for their own use or for their own benefit or advantage to just a state. And uh, therefore, the question of accountability does indeed become important because we can say with some certainty that it's still under the mandate of the use of coercive power by the state. If the state chooses to deploy that PSMC when somebody has requested upon them for troops or for military support, but if it goes beyond to the individual entity, whether a state or a local party to an armed conflict that reaches out directly to the PSMC, then yes, somewhere or the other, the state's monopoly and coercive power is lost. 
Okay, so the second part of the question was uh, related to accountability. So, from what I understand, is uh, if these private entities emerge as with uh, private military security companies, if they emerge uh, as uh, an entity that provides military security, so essentially means that the state is outsourcing some of its coercive power or diluting its coercive power uh, to these private entities. And even in case where talk of particular example or uh, a particular scenario wherein the state mandates or the state asks the private security military company to provide security functions to a particular entity. But even in case wherein these entities take their individual decisions wherein they contracted by any other party and they provide the services. In that case, if anything goes wrong, is there a possibility that the responsibility can be linked or be imposed on the state? I mean, if anything goes wrong, who do we look for accountability? Who, who's accountable? Because state indirectly also becomes accountable in the sense that it let go of its uh, coercive power and it allowed the private security company to undertake operations in this realm that was uh, previously only a monopoly of the state. So the state does have a role uh, there. So even if uh, a private entity undertakes an individual decision that is has not taken sanction with the government, there is an element of responsibility that we can attach to the government or the state. What do you think? So the comment I was making about value judgment is important to set context, which was going to be part of my larger answer to your question. So state accountability is a very tricky subject in both international humanitarian and actually criminal law, which is why there is such an elaborate arrangement within these bodies of law to understand it. And the evolution and the coming about of the PSNC, it is definitely an aberration in attribution and responsibility because this is indeed an, a loophole of both IHN and ICL that if PSNCs are raised off to individually by a party to a conflict, will individual responsibility indeed act upon them one? Which is where I started with the debate on how to define them. Do we define them as mercenaries? Do we define them as civilians? And if they're captured, do we define them as prisoners of war? Uh, there are multiple sources of international law that we can refer to be able to attribute individual responsibility to PSMCs. So uh, it's absolutely not compulsory that in a situation where a party to a conflict reaches out to a PSMC directly without the involvement of the state, the attribution has to be made to a state itself. And uh, neither is it necessary that because the state shows or passively promoted the coming about of the PSNCs, it means in any way that the state is responsible for their use and proliferation. Even if the state was the entity that first introduced the idea of using these PSNCs in situations of armed conflict, it does not in any way mean that now that they have become individual entities of their own, the state will continue to be responsible for their and just to elaborate on one of the points I uh, made in the middle, there indeed exist conventions like the Convention on Eliminating Mercenarism in Africa from 1977, Additional Protocol Market the Geneva Convention, and the uh, draft regulations, say the draft regulations that were uh, drafted for the use of force by security contractors in Iraq, will set precedents to how activities of TSNCs can account for individual responsibility for whatever they would in situations with the content. Okay, uh, well, I still disagree, and I think this state has to be responsible if it chooses to dilute its power, coercive power to a private entity. But anyway, we have our difference. Okay, uh, last question is uh, where do we see the trajectory of the involvement, uh, especially uh, PSNC, 
uh, heading towards. Is it possible that this becomes a more and more on advertising industry? Uh, right. So I think it is definitely possible that it becomes a more privatized industry. Like I said, regime stability has become a commercial product. And uh, if it's somewhere, somewhere a dictator pops up and uh, decides that it is necessary for them to deploy use of force to keep civilian protest or active insurgencies in check, they may reach out to these entities with or without uh, the support of another state. And so we have to confront this reality from both the international law a human rights and political perspective that uh, PSMCs are being deployed and they will be continued to deploy it. Officially, however, I cannot say that states or even the UN will continue to support or uphold uh, this, this kind of private contracting of peace, whether it be peacekeeping or peace enforcing, which is why we see continued infusion of funds into the UN peacekeeping forces. And this is after the UN is realizing that there is a clash of mandate between uh, the UN peacekeeping forces and uh, private security military companies. I think the strengths of international diplomatic pushback that will be related to the risks these PSMCs pose to peace operations will likely depend heavily on uh, the diversity of the coalition of states that are involved in such action and that are involved in deciding upon such action, such as the P5 countries, with non-Western troop contributing countries such as Bangladesh, Rwanda or India also <laughs> holding important sway. And uh, while these uh, countries' interests in maintaining safety and security are clearly being affected, these concerns will inevitably be overshadowed by the international politics that is surrounding the nationality of such groups, say whether they're American or Russian, with their responses to the Russia-Ukraine war. So before the war, it was okay for these, for the proliferation of these entities to take place. After the war, uh, everybody's objecting to the Wagner Group. And China will no doubt be watching the response to the Wagner Group closely as its security presence in Africa grows. Currently, it's very indirect. For example, some of the drones it will send to, say, Congo will be operated by European security contractors, but it may become more proactive in the future. And so it's important for the UN to keep debating the implications of this privatization. I think if I'm remembering correctly, one of the former secretary generals of the UN, Kofi Annan, uh, made a statement that they're actually considering deploying these uh, private security military contractors as opposed to UN peacekeeping forces in some of the situations of conflict like Syria. But then of course that proposal didn't materialize because of the ethical implications this carries for international politics. So it may not necessarily be the case that states are in states or the UN is indeed willing to allow the dilution of monopolies over coercive power and yet this continue to proliferate. And so it equally becomes important for those on the other side, which is the UN keeping forces of states that are opposed to the idea of PSMCs to keep reporting on the hostilities that results from it for international law to evolve to include individual responsibility and um, deconfliction and information mechanisms to you know really work on the ground and avoid accidents and clash of mandates between the PSMCs and other armed officials and 23 forces. Yeah, I think that's uh, I mean uh, with the clash of mandate between the PSMCs and peacekeeping forces, I think UN would be a key stakeholder. Even the responses of the P5 countries would be very significant and very consequential uh, towards uh, uh, this trajectory work that we're talking about with the privatization of these in this industry. And uh, especially also as uh, 
other UNGM members apart in the right countries uh, which contribute to the peacekeeping missions. Uh, there will be a stakeholder and their responses will be uh, vital. On that note, uh, I think uh, that was a good chat, Anushka. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.